Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. Today I am absolutely honoured to introduce you to John Offord from the BBC. This episode may trigger you as we talk about cancer, mental health, bipolar, death and grief. I share my experience around grief, which I talk about in my next book, Good Grief. Grief is like our fingerprint, it's unique to every single one of us and John's story is definitely unique. It is highly emotional as he experienced so much death in such a short space of time. It's so, you know, sometimes you feel so powerless, as in, you know, I feel so sad for my mum because she lost her husband of 40 years and her, her firstborn. Can't imagine what that is like. But then I also think we're not special, you know, other people, we've all got stories to tell. So if you're ready, grab a chair grab a tissue and let's go meet the wonderful John Offord. Today on the show I'm joined by John Offord and he's a broadcast journalist, a producer, a director, a broadcaster, a media trainer and a podcast host of Different Minds. So hello there John. Hi there, nice to be here. Bless you, that is quite a bio isn't it? (laughs) It is, isn't it? Yeah, quite a lot of um, titles attached to me there. Yeah, but I've definitely been, um, I answer to all sorts these days, Shelley, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, bless you. We'll keep it clean. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're having quite a laugh, but bless you, you have the most amazing story to share around what happened in your life in 2013. So please do share with us, John. Yeah, sure. So, so as you say, in 2013, I, I lost my brother and my father um, within a few days of each other. And yeah, that, that, that's um, obviously that's quite a while back now. That's eight years ago. And yeah, that, that, that was obviously um, a very traumatic time in my life. And yeah, kind of looking back, you know, I think how on earth did I get through that? And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's obviously as many of your listeners that will know that have experienced grief, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a very difficult time. And yeah, I guess to start at the beginning, I, my, my brother suffered, suffered with, he had mental health um, issues throughout his life. And, um, you know, growing up with an older brother that had those challenges was difficult for all of us. Um, and, yeah, he, he managed to, to kind of um, get his own place and do some, you know, experience independent living, which was great for all of us. 
and my father one day was diagnosed with terminal bowel cancer yeah just randomly in February in 2013 I remember picking my father up from the Hallamshire hospital in Sheffield with my mum and um, you know I said how did the uh, consultation go and 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 my father just said you know they basically said I've got four to six weeks left to live and I remember so vividly driving home in the car with my father in the passenger seat and my mum in the back and just the silence I think I will remember forever because you know what what do you say you know and yeah I think the radio was on you know traffic was happening outside the usual day-to-day of life and it was just sinking in as as I was driving back to drop my father off um, at his house and it just seemed so surreal and yeah we all just it was such a silent journey I'll, I'll remember that forever essentially yeah and then to cut a long story short my my mother looked after my father he, he basically had a bed in the living room and if anyone knows anything about bowel cancer, obviously it's 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 very ugly. And as as you know, cancers. I didn't know anything about cancer, Shelley. To be honest, I was quite ignorant to it. It's something that I just happened to my friends and family. You know, I didn't know anything about it. Um, but obviously, you know, it affects a lot of us. I'm sure our listeners have experienced it as well, unfortunately. And and yeah, my um, my I guess my father was you know began his palliative palliative care you know we my mom was so good to him looking after him and, you know as as he, as he um you know, we, he was on obviously medication and drugs to to kind of help with the pain and then me and my mom had a discussion about how do we break this news to my brother because my brother we were very protective over, you know, I was very protective over my brother and obviously my mum was protective over her son and we knew he had his mental health issues. He had bipolar disorder and we wanted to, we had to be very careful about how we sat my brother Anthony down to say that, look, you know, like my dad is going to die essentially. Um, so yeah we had that conversation with my brother yeah I think we, we took a few days me and my mom to kind of think it through before we told Anthony yeah and um, obviously you know Anthony was in shock as, as we all were and then and then one day Anthony um, I think yeah as his way of coping with that was almost being reckless and he went out drinking with friends and you know he basically collapsed at a friend's house after after drinking and his friend called the ambulance and the ambulance took over 20 minutes to get to the scene and um so yeah so i remember i remember which is really hard to kind of i often try and blank this bit out but i remember being at home at my house and my mum knocking on the door really randomly one Saturday morning and just 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 crying yeah when I answered the door she just crying and I just didn't really understand what was going on and she mentioned you know my brother 
and there was a police car outside so you know I just it was just complete chaos and I jumped in the car with my mom and and, and we went to the hospital and, and my brother was in intensive care and it was just complete it was almost like it was we were in a film yeah it's this nightmare and we were literally driving backwards and forwards from the hospital where my brother was in intensive care to to my father in my mum's house um high on drugs it was almost like which one's gonna die first and you were driving backwards and forwards between the two and it was just so surreal and um yeah, the doctors then said that, you know, we're going to have to, um, unfortunately, my brother had um, suffered a lack of oxygen to the brain when he collapsed, essentially. And um, they said there was nothing that they could do. And the, and the best thing to do would be to turn off the life support machine. Yeah, so, you know, and that was just horrific. And, you know, me and my mom to hear that from a doctor and so you know there with all our friends and family we all had to say our goodbyes and yeah you know it was he just he can't find the words to describe that really you know when you he was in a coma really so he never gained consciousness um, there was one time when i held his hand for the last time and he did twitch his hand a little bit towards the end but he's just so sad because you know i think people it's often in society we're so quick to judge and people say well you know if he hadn't been drinking alcohol you know if he hadn't been so reckless but actually if I had a mental health condition I'm sure I would have done the same and, and I and I you know I I, 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 I think I've learned not to judge you know from, from this experience and um, yeah so then you know they turned off a life support machine and then the, the, the miracle, which is just, I just find this absolutely incredible, a testament to the human spirit, is that my my father stayed alive against all the doctors, um, kind of um, what they were saying. And he basically, um, my father stayed around until my brother's funeral on the 8th of May, almost to see to make sure that my brother had a proper sending off and my dad passed away on the evening of my brother's funeral. So that was almost three months after you know, extra that he had to, he stayed around to, to be there for, for me and my mum. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's uh, it feels quite raw speaking about it now because it's, you know, even though it's eight years ago, it's not often, I guess, that you, you know, you talk about it in so much detail. You know, it's, I think the thing with death is, it's so, you know, sometimes you feel so powerless, as in, you know, I feel so sad for my mum that she lost her husband of 40 years and her, and her firstborn. I can't imagine what that is like. But then I also think we're not special. You know, other people, we've all got stories to tell. And, yeah, it's... Um, and I remember I was just stunned, really. I didn't really... Um, I didn't react in any way. And I remember... And it's so funny because on the day of my brother's funeral, me and my mum were about to, to go off to the funeral and leave my dad with some friends at my mum's house. And uh, my, my dad got out of bed and, and said that my brother was pregnant. And me and my mum burst out laughing. And obviously because my dad was high on drugs, 
you know, he was hallucinating and, and saying silly things. But it was just this crazy scene where me and my mum were going out to the funeral cars in, in tears of laughter. And, you know, you feel <laughs> awful because, you know, that's not what you should be doing. But you, in those moments, you, you just you just end up, you have to kind of, you have to laugh. And, yeah, and I didn't, it's funny, isn't it? We all have different ways of, of, of dealing with grief. You know, my mum would, would cry often and I, and I wouldn't cry at all. The only time that it got me was when we had a ceremony. So we buried my, my dad's and my brother's ashes together and um, my dad wrote a letter to me and my brother be you know t telling us to look you know to look after my mom and to, to lead happy lives after you know obviously he knew he had terminal cancer but what really got me is he wrote a letter to my brother assuming that my brother would be alive you know with me and my mom so I had to go to the grave and I had to read that letter that my dad wrote out to my brother, Anthony. And obviously he was assuming that my brother was still alive. And I was surrounded by, you know, um, you know, all my friends and family. And I started reading this letter out loud and I completely lost it. Yeah. And that was the first time I just couldn't stop crying. Yeah. So, and that's kind of the only time that I've ever cried, to be honest. But I would just remember that how powerful that moment was for me and um, yeah so that yeah that's that's my story Shelley, yeah bless you thank you so much for sharing yeah. I was just blown away about how many things you've been exposed to I just really yeah. felt the energy of like when you were saying like time was really pressured with your dad you was told like yeah. four to six weeks and yes, the time is really precious, but then you're still taking time to sort of tell Anthony the bad news. Yeah. You know, like how he must have felt like we need to tell him sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, and then bless you. There's almost moments of humor in it, like when he was driving back yeah. from the hospital thinking, who's going to die first? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And um, your brother being pregnant on the day of his funeral. And, you know, <laughs> and I yeah. just loved if that's the right word, because yeah. I can hear it's still painful eight years on. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's so real, John. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Grief's yeah. so hard, I want to say. It's also very normal. Yeah. But in your case, you've had like the traumatic grief where you've had the sudden yeah. loss of your brother, which wasn't foreseen. You've had the anticipatory grief, admittedly short, yeah. of your dad's diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've had so much grief in that. And then you've yeah. sort of, you know, protective your mum. And I was just like, oh, you've just been through so much. And I totally get the part where you just said, I just blanked it out. You know, yeah. like he's in the car and it was silent and you were aware that, you know, life goes on. Yeah. You know, it's just, I've, I've been there in this world. Like you feel that everything's just, you know, carrying on. And you think, is this happening? Did I imagine that? Am I dreaming? Absolutely. And you can't quite, yeah, you can't quite place it. You think they're still laughing. They're still going to work. That person's yeah. still going to school yeah. and you're there. Yeah. Oh, that was it. I was so almost angry that that life was going on and things were normal and you know, the, 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 the postman would still come in the morning and the, the milkman and people would still phone up and I'm like, why hasn't the world stopped? Why is why is why is the world going on? I almost was angry about it to start with. Yeah, and it's so true. We just feel like you know some kind of sort of like film effect where we're standing there yeah. in the middle and everything's zooming around us and we're just. Yeah 
not moving and I could really relate to that as you said you blanked yeah. it out yeah I love the and part the other, the, sorry go on Shelley yeah no I was gonna say I love the part at the funeral I'm not sure if anyone else can relate to this maybe it's just us John who knows yeah. but I remember being at a friend's father's funeral yeah and there was just people just absolutely sobbing but then yeah. absolutely crying with laughter with memories and it's just yeah. so fine, that line between sort of like yeah. laughing and crying. And I know on a bad day now, you know, with a hormonal female I am, I can be going, ha, ha, ha. And then you just go, oh, and it all just yeah. comes out, that release and all that stuff yeah. you've carried. So yeah. I could really get that too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing to say was, um, it was funny because it dawned on me afterwards when I kind of had a few months to kind of, understand what had actually happened because I was living my book 2013 was pretty much a blur to me I was I was fortunate to get time off work at the BBC and I was just in a I was not I wasn't really doing much with my days and I felt almost lazy but then I also realized I was emotionally exhausted and processing what had happened and I then dawned on me why why did it take over 20 minutes the ambulance to get there with my brother and I sent off a random email to the coroner and he then got back to me straight away to apologize and say this of this should have gone to a coroner's inquest automatically I'm, I'm sorry that it's taken you to to highlight this to us and to cut a long story short I then basically um spent the 18 months kind of representing my brother and going through a coroner's inquest with Yorkshire Ambulance Service. And I represented myself in, in the inquest and I got so involved in it. I've got, I've got boxes and boxes full of papers and witness statements. And I had to put my mum through that but I felt it was important that if there was any mistakes that happened, that that's obviously not going to bring my brother back, but I don't want this to happen to anyone else. And to, yeah, to cut a long story short, the coroner um, ruled a narrative verdict. Uh, and he said that, you know, had the ambulance got there earlier, my brother probably would have survived. And, you know, obviously to hear that was horrendous mm. and the coroner stopped short from an, an, a negligent ruling but he did make over a million pounds of recommendations that the that, that, that Yorkshire Ambulance Service had to enforce to change their procedures so that this never happens again because essentially someone was on was on a lunch break and of course paramedics have to have lunch like no, we all need to eat but they hadn't had a proper procedure in place when an ambulance goes past a site which requires medical attention. They hadn't got enough resources to, to deal with that situation. And there was a few miscommunications which we went through in detail in the inquest. And, you know, that it was, and, and to me, I felt so guilty about that because I was, you know, dragging my mum through the court process and we actually had to hear the 999 call recording and you know this this is quite horrific so you know but we had to listen back to my brother struggling to breathe on that call 
And my, I said to my mum, do you really have to stay in the court for this? I don't want to put you through this. But I was so driven. I, I, it was something to focus on, for almost to do something for my brother. And I did question why, why I was doing this, but I felt it was important. And also there was a paramedic, that, a lone responder that was sent to the flat and she, um, all lone responders, they, they have to work together with someone else, which is what, you know, to, for their own personal safety more than anything else. And she was sent to that situation without any backup. And she took the decision not to go in the flat, which is why my brother didn't get the health care that he deserved until 25 minutes after the 999 call was made. And we met that paramedic in court who gave a witness statement and she explained that she was on the scene pretty quickly. And she took the decision not to go in the premises because she was on her own. And for a while, if I'm honest, I, I, I probably blamed her for my brother's death. Then they kept us quite separate and the Yorkshire Ambulance Service, they had, you know, expensive lawyers representing their side. And my mum wanted to go to the toilet halfway through proceedings and um, I went with her to the, to, the, to the door. And then you wouldn't believe this, but the, the paramedic that had just given that witness statement was just coming out of the toilet, coming out of the lady's toilet. And she just give this very professional statement in court. Obviously, she would have received lots of advice from the NHS on what to say. I'm sure this is pretty protocol for lots of paramedics. She, she broke down in tears and so did me and my mum essentially. And we hugged each other and we said, you know, it's not your fault essentially. And again, that was a magical moment that wasn't, part of the court proceedings that just happened yeah yeah <laughs> so wow I just yeah knew you was gonna say she was coming out of the toilet because I think you can you know at the end of the day we are human and we yep. can be told to sort of tick that box follow that policies this is what you need to say but at the end of the day mm -hmm. you know she must have been carrying so many emotions herself thinking what if I had to done Absolutely. and things like that and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you broke down yeah, what an awful position for her to, you know, she has to live with that. And mm -hmm. I know it wasn't her fault. And, you know, she should have had the backup that, that, that was required. And yeah, it was just, uh, I just find it such a, uh, you know, God works in mysterious ways. I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily a religious person, but I, I, um, I found that to be such a special moment. Yeah, everything happens for a reason, I guess. Yeah. yeah. When you experience the sudden death of Anthony when we get sudden death whether it's sort of like suicide murder you know yeah. or the case of Anthony quite unique there is so much questioning left behind like what if if only I had and things like that do you feel that pursuing it was like a healing process for you that you got close you got answers as you said it wouldn't bring Anthony back but do you find that it helped you in some way to get answers yeah. Um, you know, I guess I, 
I wanted to do all I could for Anthony and, you know, I wasn't able to help him in life. And obviously with his bipolar, it's a condition he had to learn to live with and that he struggled with. And, you know, that obviously affected me and my mum as well and all the family as well, as anyone will know, you know, living with, with, with people, family members that have mental health conditions, it affects everyone essentially. Um, and I guess there was a little bit of me like, I wish I could have done more. I, w- I wish I could have when he was alive. And, and you do, I just felt driven to try and, you know, I wasn't to try and do, to turn this into a positive essentially. And, and you know, I had, you know, the having Yorkshire Ambulance Service have implemented massive changes now because of this. And we got, you know, lots of press attention. And, but Shelley, I became obsessed with it. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I work in the media. You know, I, I, work, I was working for the BBC in Yorkshire at the time. And I found myself on the news, on BBC News. And this was quite a strange position for me to be in because I'm normally on the other side of the camera. And now I'm now I'm the headlines. And, you know, it felt like almost there was a conflict of interest there because... You know, I, I had a personal story to tell, and but I, I, I was involved with making the news, not, not being the news. So that was a real strange time, and you know, I did pursue civil action successfully afterwards, but it, but it was none of this was about playing. You know, I just wanted to to make sure that the, that obviously something wasn't working in the system. And, 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 you know, I felt like I needed to, to do this, but there was a time when I had to say enough is enough. And I had to put it to bed because it almost was stopping me from grieving because I, I, I became so focused on, on the court case that I, um, I used that as an excuse not to deal with my own personal grieving. I think that's wonderful what you just said because I was thinking like as I asked earlier like did it help you with the healing but I was thinking did it help or hinder and I think it actually probably did both because I think you probably did get closure from it hopefully you're saving lives that's an amazing positive change because you know had a system that didn't work but it gets to a point anything in life it gets to a point where sometimes we're holding ourselves back you know whether that's going for the next job whether it's moving on from grief and it gets that point you think this isn't really serving me. I do need to move on, which is courageous, isn't it? Because when you're so obsessed with something or so habitual with something, you're like, yep. who am I without this? But I think you've yeah. done brilliantly because you've done the healing, the hindering, and then carried on healing, which is fabulous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember once um, I did an interview on the Jeremy Vine show on BBC Radio 2, and I was talking about the power of listening. And that, you know, in society, we're very quick to judge people with mental health conditions and and just just the power of being there for someone and just listening. And you don't have to have an agenda. You don't have to suggest anything. You can just just listen. And, you know, I've definitely, you know, learned so much from this. And I remember once, though, I, there was an article about my brother in the Daily Mail newspaper. Yeah. And... To be fair, I wasn't expecting, it was quite a, you know, a reasonable article, which if I'm honest, I wasn't expecting from the Daily Mail. But I remember, <laughs> little dig there, see what I did. <laughs> Made me um, chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the comments underneath on the online article. And this nurse in Scotland said something like, it's his own fault for wasting resources and drinking. 
And I remember I told my mum about it and I was staring at that page for days. And I got so angry. I said to my mum, I'm going to, I'm going to sign on and be a member of the Daily Mail online and, and I'm going to send her some comments back. And I just thought, do you know what? It's not worth it. Um, she doesn't deserve any of my energy whatsoever. And this is someone that's supposed to be a nurse. It's supposed to be compassionate. And, but, you know, I tried to blank that out and, and, you know, focus on positive people and have positive energy because, but that was a tough one. But I'm, I think I did the right thing by, by ignoring it. Yeah. I think that's, I don't know what the word is, John, if I'm honest. <laughs> As an author, I probably should have a great word to say right now, but no. But my mum will remember this. Uh, she listens to the show, so hello, mum. But my mum will remember this. It was a newly qualified... <laughs> As a newly qualified nurse many moons ago, yeah. we had to do a project for the hospital. Yeah. And so mine was, I worked in acute medicine, and we had a lot of people that were alcoholics just coming back again and again and again. Yeah. And I become really aware of it. And they would come in and they'd know us all by name. We'd know them by name. And they, you know, we'd feed them. We'd sort of like put them on tablets to dry them out. But then we'd put them back into the community and they'd be back in like a 12-week cycle. Yep. So when we had to do this project, I was like, well, people with like alcoholic needs or alcoholic addiction yeah. um, come back again, again, and again. Um, yeah. It costs us loads, but really, what about if we looked at why are they drinking? What is the yeah. trigger before that behavior? Like, what's their mental health? What happened in their childhood? What's happened? Yeah. yeah. And I got severely told off <laughs> that doesn't happen in our hospital. That's not happening. It's like I'm nursing their people. It does. These people need help beyond the tablet. And I got really feisty about it as much as I could because I was quieter then, John. Yeah. But they <laughs> were totally dissed me I didn't get any promotion nothing because they was just like that doesn't happen and my mum bless her she remembered um on Anglia News six months no more than 18 months later it yeah. was everywhere in the news how much alcoholics cost the NHS not like that nurse was saying about a drain on resources yeah just the system again is not working <laughs> Absolutely. absolutely. Do you know what I mean so I yeah. when you said that I mean this is going back years I haven't nursed since 2019 yeah. And I qualified in 2004 right. and I was passionate then about helping these people. Like, why are they drinking? Why are we not doing the right yeah. thing? You know, if you, is it um, Albert yeah. Einstein? If you keep doing the same thing again, and again, expect something different, that's insane. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, so, and so much. That's such a good point that you say there, Shelley. And often the approach these days, you know, mental health provision in this, in the UK is, is actually the worst in Europe. And you know, so often these days, you know, we think that medication and giving people drugs is the answer. And, 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 and you know, we need, as you say, we need to see the bigger picture. We need to see why is this happening? And, 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 and you know, we need to spend more time understanding people. And, um, yeah, big, big drug companies and just giving people medication every day is, is not, is not going to deal, deal with the, the overall issue. No, not at all. I think it's yeah. terrible that... I don't know a nurse would say that do you know what I mean yeah. like yeah I get I mean, we're all you know, different you, but no <laughs> you know I guess you could say well you know what do you expect it's a daily mail reader sorry another, another there Shelley but you know <laughs> but you know I guess you know yeah but I didn't it wasn't worthy of a response and I think that was the best thing to do to be honest yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's certainly often a train of thought, John, because I'm thinking like, well, how does she treat the patients when they come in? Does she treat them differently? Yeah. Does she tell yeah. them that? Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, you know, we have Absolutely. a duty to care. Yeah. It's, it's baffling, isn't it? But, you know, I am assured that the majority of nurses in this UK are, are extremely compassionate. I've met so many and understanding. So, um, yeah, you know, um, there's always a bad egg, isn't there, I guess? Yeah. 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 I returned to nursing. Um, I have to think what child it was. We've got four children, but somewhere <laughs> between yeah. the third and fourth child, I returned to nursing. And then I kind of remembered why I left. And it's because you get those absolute amazing nurses you know they yeah. are the lifesavers they're the ones that are holding your hand if you're not absolutely. to be safe you know these absolute yeah. earth angels I love that absolutely. but there were so many of those women I, I can't think of a nice way to say it which isn't uncommon John if I'm honest um yeah. but those kind of people that got those faces that say I'm only here to pay the mortgage you know that yeah. kind of level of enjoyment in their job they just got absolutely. sort of that pinch face <laughs> sad isn't it it's sad and also just while I think on as well I just want to say that obviously I love the NHS and you know even you know even with Yorkshire Ambulance Service I was able to see the bigger picture they were they were doing their best with the limited resources they they had and ultimately it was because of cutbacks from central government that the system was exposing you know we could see the flaws in the system essentially so you know no one set out to do anything wrong you know, ultimately, it's about funding from central government or, or lack of, essentially. Yeah. No, the NHS is brilliant. I think it's just sad when we get these little pop-up moments where you think, like, oh, no, please don't say that. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, bless you, you haven't really cried much in your grief journey, you were saying, like, you cried mm -hmm. when you read out your dad's letter to Anthony when yeah. you was like doing the ashes and things so you've not really cried yeah. much but you're here and you're talking today so how did you create a positive change how did you heal from your grief I think it was about um just 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 I was on a mission almost to um spread understanding of, of and raise awareness of, of of mental health conditions and I I, I, I tried to turn it into a positive and I ran the, the London Marathon for the first time two years ago, which I've never run professionally in my life. And that was incredible. I, I raised over £4,000 for the Mind Mental Health Charity. And I mean, that was an emotional day. And that was incredible. I did that for my brother. I, 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 I you know, and I used my media training to um, you know, raise awareness of these issues. You know, I spoke to Jeremy Vine about the power of listening on radio to and then I launched my Different Minds podcast series last year in, in the first lockdown, which essentially is about celebrating difference. Yeah. And does that help you as well, like to almost heal when you're hearing other people's stories, what they've been through? Yeah, I, I think I think as a society, yeah, I mean, I've been on my own personal journey because I, I probably had my own preconceived ideas of what someone is like with this neurological condition or if they have this or if they have bipolar disorder and you know I I've been on a massive uh, healing and learning journey just by doing this podcast and hope my listeners have as well and yeah I've just had I remember one time I was interviewing this guy who from America who has um, Asperger's uh, spec uh, sorry Asperger's syndrome which is um comes under the um, 
autism spectrum disorder um, diagnosis now. I remember when I first interviewed him, I was like, I had all these preconceived ideas in my head that this guy's probably going to be manipulative and I need to be careful how I conduct this interview. And I'm ashamed to say that was what was going through my head. And when I interviewed him, it was probably the most amazing, powerful interview I've ever done in my life. And he was such an amazing guy. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just, I just, yeah, it was, it was, it was life changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? it just, and I, I think I've learned to stop being so judgmental with myself and with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think the world would be a better place. I think there's an element of human in there that we, I think, where we've been treated in our experience today, we tend to have that judgment. Do you know what I mean? Like what our parents yeah. might have said and like, you know, university and things like that. But I think as we, you know unfold our own story we do tend to get less judgmental because you think actually everyone's got a bit of a dark side everyone's got their own story yeah so be, absolutely be kind always <laughs> yeah be kind always absolutely yeah, yeah. so no that, that 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 fuels my fire and, and keeps me going essentially yeah bless you speaking of keeping going obviously everyone is affected by grief i always say that um grief is something when we have a loss with something with which we have an emotional connection. So it doesn't mean someone dying, like if a relationship you know, ends or your dreams or health, things like that. Whenever we lose something with which we're connected with, we get a grief response. So everyone's yeah. affected by grief. So if you were to say to someone today, to our listeners, like what one positive change could they do today with their grief? Where would you say they should start? You're absolutely right, and as I say, grief comes in all different forms, doesn't it? From whether you've, you, 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 it's a relationship that's fallen apart, or you've lost someone, a dear friend or family member. And I, I think a good starting point is to allow yourself to to feel sad and 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 to and and to not shy away from those emotions. And obviously, grief is very personal; it's very individual. We all grieve differently, and that's absolutely fine. But it's okay to, to not feel okay. And, you know, you will have good days and you will have bad days, and, and that's actually okay. And I think it's about embracing those emotions, understanding those emotions. And, you know, I think it's about, yes, you know, grief, you know, often will be associated with sad feelings, but it's also, it's important to keep memories alive of, of your lost ones, your loved ones. And, you know, they are, they are part of your life and that's never going to change. And, you know, that, that should be celebrated. And that's what they would have wanted, essentially. And, that you know, their memories will live on through you. And life is so short, so they would want you to make the best of it. And that's what I'm going to do. And, I, and that's what I hope all your listeners do as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I think it's so true that we are all affected by grief, but then we're all as unique as our fingerprints when it comes to how we grieve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny because um, I remember once, you know, my, me and my mum, for example, we, we grieve in very different ways. And my mum will just start crying randomly, you know, and, and it's really weird because sometimes I feel... I feel like I, it's, it's it's harsh to say this, but I sometimes get annoyed when my mom starts crying just just for no reason. Obviously, it is for a reason, but I I just feel so helpless because there's nothing I can do or say that's going to change 
I can't change what's happened. And but that's her way of uh, you know maybe maybe I need to take a leaf out of her book and maybe I shouldn't you know again I'm going back to I shouldn't judge and you know that's how my mum does it. And it is with my mum even now it's difficult for her to you know have any photographs of you know Anthony in the house. Well, she has got one though. But I remember when she came around to my house once and she um, she told me off because I had a photograph in my new house of um, of Anthony. And she got upset and she started crying and you know. And then we had a little bit of an argument and I'm like, well, I'm, Anthony was my brother. I'm not going to pretend he didn't exist just because you can't deal with seeing a picture of him. And then you know it blew over and. Yeah, it's just, and I guess that's normal in family dynamics. We all have different ways. We have our ups and our downs, and we all have different ways of coping with things. But but for me, I'm not going to, you know, this is why I'm doing this podcast with you, Shelley. I, I am going to talk about my brother, Anthony, and I'm not going to, you know, shy away from that. No, we never should, because like, all grief is valid. And if it's of yeah. any reassurance to you, John, there is a tendency that women and men grieve differently so women yeah. tend to be what they call intuitive grievers and men are instrumental yeah. grievers so the intuitive right. one is women and we're very much intuitive like what's going on so they go like oh I feel really sad today oh and we're the talkers we'll talk about it sort of thing whereas men are instrumental they're more they can't fix the situation so they yeah. start fixing things like bikes DIY working out <laughs> and they're very physical with their grief yeah. so there is yeah. a difference anyway the way we tend to grieve so like the women often go for talking therapies whereas the men would yeah. go more for sort of like physical training therapy yeah yeah and I think you know, that's so fascinating Shelley and I also think you know talking therapy is so powerful and so helpful and you know I had some therapy as did my mom and you know talking about it is is, is such a great thing to do yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer in talking therapy yeah yeah and you said earlier, like, it's okay to not be okay, which is, you know, yeah. used so much around grief. But as you were saying, it's about that creating a positive change because your life's still going on, not the way you would have maybe wished for it or expected it, yeah. but it goes on. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebrand it and say, <laughs> it's okay to not be okay as long yeah. as you do something about it. And whether that is Absolutely. to cry, duvet day, yeah. talking therapies, yoga, whatever yeah. you want to do, just yeah. do something about not being okay. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And for me, I, I, I've found comfort in running and running marathons and, uh, yeah, raising money for, for mental health charities at the same time and forming new friendships and, um, and getting out there, keeping fit. And I find that really th therapeutic. Bless you. I've absolutely loved this. You're going to help so many people because we say, like, grief affects everyone. You're unique journey just blows me away to have so much loss in such a short you know space of time yeah. and then the journey you went the healing the hindering so John offered thank you so much for being here today no it's been a pleasure speaking to you Shelley and I really enjoyed you know going back there and, and talking this through with you in detail and I feel honored to to be on your show bless you keep doing what you're doing because I think you're absolutely rocking your own world and others Thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. 
If you would like to create your own Positive Changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelly F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelly F. Knight and you've been amazing. <laughs>